We're going to start a new teaching series this morning and we're going to the book of Philippians. It's a letter that you will find in the New Testament of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got your phone, you can uh, turn it on to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning, up to verse 11. And we're going to be spending the next three or four months, really, in Philippians. So we'll have Christmas uh, and a few other bits and pieces like that. But we'll be going through the book, this letter of Philippians. And we've called this series, we've called it Rejoice. It's one of our values, isn't it? Do you remember our values? I know we've stopped speaking on our values, but we're not going to stop talking about our values. You're going to hear them a lot. Do you remember our values? Can anyone remember them? We rejoice. Okay. We go. We welcome. There's one more. And we inspire. Yeah, these are the things that we hold dear to as a community in terms of what we really value. We rejoice. We welcome. We inspire. We go. So we rejoice. What, what is that? Is that like some kind of constant happiness that someone might have as they go through life? Because it could be said that that is what our culture craves. Happiness. How do I achieve happiness in life? This week, um, you may have noticed in the news, they, the office, oh, you don't, you might not, have, unless you're a nerd like me, um, the, the Office of National Statistics, which is just like, probably like a whole office full of nerds like me, um, the Office of National Statistics released its, the, the government's findings of its well-being estimates for 2019. And it's kind of called the happiness index. That's what they call it. Uh, and it's kind of estimates of life satisfaction, of feeling that the things you do in life are worthwhile, uh, uh, of how happy people are, maybe levels of anxiety in an area. Um, and so they released the figures for the UK just this week. Um, do you want to know how Teesside did? Well, we kind of, we're kind of around average, actually. Just a, kind of about average in terms of happiness, apparently, according to the government and these boffins. Um, the happiest places, places like the Shetland Islands, uh, the, if you kind of live out there, or the Ribble Valley. I think the Ribble Valley is there because no one knows where it is. It's part of Lancashire, the Ribble Valley. Apparently, that's one of the happiest places to live in the UK. Least happiest places... Parts of, yep, certain inner boroughs of London and Lincoln. Lincoln, that's where I was born and grew up. Apparently, it's one of the saddest places to live in the UK. Exactly, yeah. They clearly have not been to Chez Radwan's on a Friday night and got chips, cheese, onions and kebab meat. <laughs> yes, very flat. And obviously the government have to decide how they're going to measure things. And, you know, we can discuss, of, is joy and happiness the same? Are there, is it talking about two different things? Um, or is there some overlap there? But you won't be surprised to hear that for the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, that joy, happiness, fulfillment aren't necessarily found in the place that you live geographically. That's not the point. Well, well, what about how you find happiness? How you find joy? Well, Russell Brand, the, uh, the famous comedian, actor, turned kind of uh, YouTube philosopher, guru for a whole nation, um, he's kind of said, 
you know, I've, I've looked, I've sought out fame in all sorts of ways. I've sought out happiness in fame. And I've sought it out in drugs. And I've sought it out in sex. And I've sought it out in relationships and success. And he says, I, it, I've given up the idea that I can make myself happy through any of these things. And he, and he says, in, he's released a few recent videos on YouTube. And he said, you know, if you want to, one of them he says, if you want to make, if you make success, if you make happiness your goal, then you won't get there. You won't find it. And he said the answer, his answer is, actually, you'll find it in helping others. You'll find it in being grateful for the things in your life. Uh, and do you know what? He's not far from the truth, I think. So for the Apostle Paul, he says that joy, happiness, isn't a set of external circumstances like that are most likely to be found if you live in the Shetland Islands or the Ribble Valley. No, no, he's saying, no, no, it's not, it, you can't make joy a goal in your life it can't be the ultimate aim. No, the goal is Jesus, Paul says. Now rejoice in him. Okay, so let's go to this letter, Philippians, and uh, see what we can find as God speaks to us through it. So, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read this out for us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of all your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way because of all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so Paul has travelled around the known world after powerfully encountering Jesus. And as he's travelled around the known world, he started communities of Christians coming together. He started churches in these different places, in different cities. And we read in the book of Acts, which has a lot of his travels in, that he goes to Philippi. We read this in chapter 16. And he kind of starts, helps start a church, a community of Christians in that city. It's a city that's now in modern-day Greece. Uh, but then it was a city in the Roman Empire, and like any city in the Roman Empire, there was loads of worship of all sorts of gods and idols and things. And there was all sorts of odd things happening in Philippi. We read in Acts 16, in fact, of some people in Philippi who had like a slave girl that had an evil spirit and could predict the future. And so they were making money off this girl by taking her around and 
telling people's fortunes, basically, around Philippi. And Paul gets so sick of this that he, he casts out this evil spirit from the girl and the people are fuming. They're mad at Paul. They're livid. Philippi was started um, really for, um, uh, to send retired soldiers. You know, you had this big Roman army and when the soldiers got old or got injured, Philippi was really started so lots of them could go to it and live there. And so it's the kind of this place with retired soldiers that are really loyal to Rome. So actually, for them, Caesar is Lord. As the Roman Empire says, Caesar is Lord. So when these Christians start um, appearing and saying, no, no, Jesus is Lord, well, then things start to get interesting. And so then you fast forward a number of years and Paul's done much travelling around and, and now we find that he's in prison for his faith. And he's written a letter to this church, to this church that he dearly loves. And so... Letters in the ancient church kind of all started really, really similar. They all started, you know, not like letters nowadays, which would start with an emoji or uh, some kind of bad grammar. No, no, now it starts with letters in the ancient world all started the same. They started with who it was that was writing it, who you are. You'd say who you are. Then you'd say who you're writing to. And then you would just kind of give a few brief well wishes to them or, you know, your your basic prayers for them. Something kind of very shallow. So, who's writing this letter, if we follow that pattern? Well, it's Paul. But he says Paul and Timothy. So, we don't know why he said Timothy. Maybe Timothy was with him as he was writing it. Maybe Timothy wrote it for him. Maybe, um, uh, they just, they, maybe he knows that they love Timothy, as we might see later on, and that actually uh, he's adding Timothy's name because of that, because they love Timothy. Um, but he says, servants of Christ Jesus... Actually, the literal translation is slaves of Christ Jesus. Not in the sense that they're being held against their will or anything like that, but rather that as a slave belonged to a master, a slave knew who it belonged to, belonged to their master. See, they knew who they belonged to. We're slaves of Christ Jesus. We belong to him. He's purchased us. He's bought us with his blood. We're his And so who's he writing to? Well, it says, doesn't it, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Your translation might say, to the saints in Christ Jesus. See, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. You are part of God's holy people. And it's not because of anything you've done. That's how we think of a saint, isn't it? Oh, they cut my grass this week. Oh, they're such a saint. Or, or even in a more religious way of actually they've done something special or someone's prayed to them, ah, they're a saint. No, 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 you are a saint. Saint Lynn, Saint Marion, Saint Jabba. We're saints. We're saints. He calls you. We're God's holy people. You've decided to put your Jesus, if you've decided to put your trust in Jesus, you are a saint. And again, so he says, to all God's holy people, and then he says, together with the overseers and deacons, kind of those leaders in the church, the word overseers or elders or even bishops is kind of used interchangeably through the New Testament, but it kind of means, you know, those who are, are, 
uh, in authority in the church, responsible for the church, for moving the church forward, for leading the church. And he also says deacons, you know, those who were called to serve in some kind of leadership role in the church, probably serving in some kind of way as well. We don't really know why he says overseers and deacons as well, but what we do know is he's saying, actually, you're all God's holy people. The whole church, your whole community, you are God's holy people. It's not just one or two of you. It's you together. God calls you holy. He calls us holy. So, he set out who's writing the letter. He set out who he's writing to. And then you'd usually have, like I say, some brief well wishes or some prayers. And it's at this point that Paul kind of goes into overdrive. He kind of bursts with joy. His love for Jesus makes him kind of burst in thankfulness and joy for this Philippian church. And it's this that we're going to look at this morning and spend the morning on. We're going to look at one thing he's thankful for, one thing that he's confident in, and one thing that he prays for this Philippian church. So, one thing he's thankful for, he says this in verse 3, I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Your partnership in the gospel. So the word he uses there for partnership is a word that some of you may have heard. It's a Greek word called koinonia. And koinonia kind of is translated fellowship. You might have heard it used. Some people call the church the fellowship. Or sometimes we can use it in an unhelpful way, I think, where we kind of say, actually, after the meeting, we're going to have tea and coffee. We're going to have some fellowship together. It really, using it like that really doesn't give the real meaning and strength of what it's getting at. See, for Paul, fellowship or koinonia was this kind of acting, active being together, being a people together, working together to display and tell of the gospel, of the good news, of this joy news of Jesus. That God is calling back people to himself through Jesus and his work on the cross. That you can find forgiveness and acceptance in Jesus. This is partnership in the gospel. So I want to ask you, are your prayers for the church full of joy, as Paul's are? Do you thank God when you remember the church? One of the reasons might be, if, if that's a, well, I'm not sure, or I don't know, or a no, one of those reasons might be, well, you need to, perhaps you need to fellowship in the gospel more. Perhaps you need to partner in the gospel more. I mean, that just sounds like a phrase, doesn't it? But what could that practically mean and look like? Well, maybe it means joining a devoted group or a community group of people. And if you need help with that, we can help you with that. Maybe it means making new friends, perhaps in serving in some kind of way. What a wonderful way to make friends, to serve alongside them, perhaps even on a Sunday serving team. I can give you lots of opportunities and options for doing that. Maybe it's to get involved in something like Open Door, where we serve asylum seekers and refugees in Teesside, or through Sparklers, our parent and toddlers group, or through the football team, reaching out to young guys. Maybe it's in something like that. Maybe it's in bringing a friend along to Alpha, 
or inviting them to our Christmas event on the 8th of December. How about this to help you um, pray for the church with joy? Ask people how you can pray for them. What they're thankful for. What you can pray. I don't kind of mean, right, tell me now. What can I pray? Right, don't put them on the spot like that. Right, now, three things. No, no, no. no. Get to know them. Say, well, how can I pray? How can I pray for you? What are you thankful for right now? Do you know what? That will help my prayers with joy and with thankfulness. And and I thought, I want to give you some things that will help fuel your prayers with joy. So I've asked um, Shirley and Jill just to come out really quickly and update us very briefly each on Alpha and Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is something we run for Christians in the church who are looking at what it means to be free in this new life in Jesus. And Alpha is our kind of looking at helping people see what it means to be a Christian and what that might mean for them. So I'm going to ask them to give a quick update and that will fuel your prayers with joy. Do you want to come out now, just briefly, both of you, and just be able to do that? I wanted to make this practical, give you some stuff that you can take away. Okay, so um, we're on week seven at the moment in the Freedom in Christ, um, and it's called a course, but actually it's more than a course, it's a gateway to truth, and it leads people to living in the fullness that God has planned for each of us. So I'm so grateful, in terms of my thankfulness, that through the materials that um, are prepared, that there's challenges for people, people are challenged. Um, They've come along, they've described it's helped them grow and mature, as Christians, their lives are being transformed. And some people have said it's just what I've been looking for. They've found real answers um, through the truth um, um, of what we've been looking at. I want to say thanks to all those people who serve um, at the course, for Liz, Paul, and Paul, and Zach, and Sue, who's been doing our worship, because those are the people who really kind of anchor things. I'm really grateful for that. And also people who, you know, every week just go upstairs and help set up, um, quietly just get on with that and organize the room. I'd like your prayers for, this week we're doing tonight um, our sessions about forgiveness. That's really key. It's really key that we, we know that, we know that in our hearts that we're forgiven and that we can then forgive other people. Because that can be a real obstacle for people as they move forward in their walk. We've got an away day coming up um, next week on the 2nd. Again, that's a really unique opportunity to be before God, yourself, um, the people who are coming along, um, to to just be engaging with the the individual sessions so that, again, they can hear from God and there are things that God will want to speak to individuals about and and then be transformed. I want to ask for your prayers for helping people to make freedom a way of life. It's not just a course. It's not just a that's it, stand alone, we finish, and let's just get on with other things. Just pray for people to really take hold of those truths and and keep going with it. There's people who've been on the last course, and again, prayers for people who've been on that, that they can continue to press forward um, and keep using the things that we've, we've, we've learned about. It, it talks about very much on the course about being transformed by the renewing of minds and making fruit that will last. And I can see evidence of that from people who've already done this course. And it's absolutely amazing. So really, please, please get behind. Pray for people. Pray to God for yourself. You know, is God stirring you for the next one that's coming along um, in the new year at some point? Is that something that might be something you, you could do um, 
or even help out with. Thank you. Hiya. Um, Alpha is going really, really well. We're at week five tonight, so we're halfway through. So please keep praying for us. We've got 16 guests, plus we've got a youth table as well, which is the cherry on the cake, I think. Chris does a brilliant job keeping them in order. But it's going really well. We've got a good mix of people. We've got uh, young people. We've got mums from Sparklers. We've got people who work and go to the Hope Foundation. So these are all the areas that I know as a church we've been praying into for years. And we're starting to see the fruit of that. So please keep praying for that. We've got people from different nations. We've got a few people from India. We've got a guy from Iran. Um, we've, as I said, we've got young people. We've got old people. Oh, is that just, just John Keeney, I think, the old person? But anyway, so please, it's going really well. Just keep praying that people get back each week. In two weeks' time, I think it is two weeks, on 9th of November, we have our Alpha Away Day, which is always a big and absolutely fabulous event. So pray for salvation. It's for salvation for these people and that everyone gets along for that. And can I just quickly share a story from last night? Last night, I got a phone call from a friend, Susan Campbell, who everyone's probably heard of. She's done about 52 million alphas. She's nearly done as many as me and still hasn't become a Christian. She put me onto a friend. Now, I know they were out drinking or maybe a little bit drunk, but that doesn't matter. She put me onto a friend uh, who both said they want to do this next Alpha course starting in January. They said, we just, we're just looking for something. We're so discontent. One of the girls had bought a, moved to another bigger house, a five-bedroom house. Now she was saying... I want to put an extension on it, and I'm still not happy. And they said, we said to Sue, we want what Shirley's got. So I'll swap them my end terrace for a five-bedroom. <laughs> Opposite a chip shop. Opposite a chip shop. And we don't realize people are seeing things in us. What these people, what they've finally realized, and Sue was over the moon, is that they need Jesus. The 50-year-old women like me, still young, but they've realized that they've done it their way and it's not working and they're miserable and they're so unhappy. And as people and as Christians, I just want us to realize that we've got friends, family, neighbors who need Jesus. Now, I'm plugging the next Alpha. We've already got four guests for the next Alpha course. If you're here today and you've never done an Alpha, please don't come along to this one because we are full and we're halfway over. But please try the Alpha course in January. Please come along. You'll absolutely love it. And join, you know, this already table of 50-year-old women. And looking out here, there's lots of people. Debs, Val, Bill, Jabba, Gail. Loads of people, I can't name them all, who have come through the Alpha course. So please, we've got Christmas coming up. Invite them to the Christmas event. Invite them to your house for a meal. Meet up with people for coffees. Get to know people. Ready for January. Because God's doing something big. We're getting more and more people along. More people saved. So please, I'm plugging Alpha. Sorry, Simon, I went no, on too long. That's right. Good. There you go. You've got plenty to fuel your prayers with joy for both freedom in Christ and for Alpha. Okay, so secondly, moving on, brief, quickly. Um, he's confident, Paul is confident in God's work. So verse 6, 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Their faith in Jesus, their new life that they have in him, was begun by God. God, He began it. It wasn't their idea. It wasn't that they were the clever ones. We're not the clever ones that have worked out truth in Teesside. No, no, it was Jesus who started a good work in you and I. It was God. You can see that in Acts 16 again, when we see the first convert in Philippi, a lady called Lydia, has her, it says that God opens her heart to Paul's message. Same for you and I. God has begun a work in you and I. That's the grace of God. You know, this is Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It's grace. You may have made a decision on an alpha course or decided at one point in your life to put your trust in Jesus. Um, But you could only do that because of the grace of God. No boasting on your part that you'd work things out. No, no, it's God's kindness and grace. And Paul's confident that the work that was begun in them, God would complete. Let me use... Uh, uh, oh, should I go here? Yeah. Let me use an analogy that I may get in trouble for. Brexit. This is not a political point in any way. I'm not aligned to any political party or political view. But we've had lots of dates for Brexit, haven't we? Lots of dates that have come and gone. Lots of future dates. Will it happen? Won't it happen? Politicians can be really confident in saying what they want to say. In the end, they don't actually know. And nothing is guaranteed. No one can see the end. Now consider this we can be utterly confident that God will complete the good work that he has started in you and me. That work where he's transforming us daily to be more and more like Jesus. For what? For the day of Christ Jesus. The day that we can confidently know will come where one day Jesus will be glorified, revealed for all to see. All world history, as we understand it, will be wrapped up. New heavens, new earth, Jesus revealed. Every knee will bow. That day of Christ Jesus that we look forward to. And the church, the people of God, will be as a bride presented to their husband, to Christ. Pure, spotless, exactly how he wants. The good work that he begun will be completed. That's what brings Paul so much joy. You know, he's in prison. Prison isn't a nice place nowadays. It was even worse back in Paul's day. He was chained. He would have had beatings, floggings. But he's filled with joy at this kind of unfailing commitment that God will complete the good work that he started in this church. Listen, that's a wonderful way to encourage others, isn't it? Perhaps you've got a friend who is a Christian but they are going through something really tough or they're just kind of having doubts or they just don't know where things are going it's what you know you can say to them you know what I don't know all the answers to your questions but I know that God who's begun a good work in you will see it through and he will complete it because he is faithful to you listen maybe you're facing tough circumstances right now maybe it's a job 
Maybe it's your immigration status. Maybe it's your finance. Maybe it's a relationship. Listen, God wants you to, even in the midst of those things, rejoice that he has started a good work in you and me. And he will see it through. That's true whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, whether you've been a Christian for 50 minutes. He is utterly committed to completing the good work he started in you. Okay, and finally, his prayer. Paul's prayer. He finishes with a prayer for them. And this prayer tells us how we can flourish in the Christian life. And you know what? If we skim over it, if we just rush it, we'll miss the truth and beauty of his prayer. We've got to wrestle with it for a minute, so stay with me. Are you okay to stay with me for a bit? It's really going to be worth it. So he says this, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he mentions the day of Christ again there. God started a good work. He will see it through. And his people will be pure and blameless on that day. Pure and blameless kind of just means both inner and outer, our whole life. Pure in terms of our our inner thoughts, our inner life. And blameless in terms of how we are with one another and how we interact and serve one another. The whole life, our whole being. So we've seen that God's going to complete his work in us. Well, what's our role? What do we do in this? Well, if we read this passage too quickly, we might think that our job is just to get more knowledge, learn more, fill our heads with more information, and that will help towards completing this good work. That's our playing our part. We can think Paul's saying, right, Christians just need to deepen their knowledge in order to know what to love. Listen, this isn't an anti-knowledge point or uh, an anti-learning point. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Paul's saying. But actually what Paul's saying is, it's the other way round. Paul prays that their love might abound more and more, because in some sense, love is the condition for knowledge. Love is where knowledge best thrives. This is a quote from um, James K. Smith writing on this prayer of Paul's. And he says, It's not that I know in order to love, but rather I love in order to know. And if we're going to discern, that means kind of work out what is best, what is excellent, what really matters, what's of ultimate purpose, ultimate importance, Paul tells us the place to start is attending to our loves. Okay, that may seem heavy, but let me put it like this. The heart of the Christian life is not what you know between your ears. It's what you love. In fact, it's who you love. See, Christianity is about a relationship, isn't it? It's about a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. It's about encountering the love of Jesus and then loving him in response and learning to love the things that he loves. See, think of what I'm doing now. I'm not trying this morning to fill your head with knowledge and information and Bible facts. 
no, no, I'm, I'm attempting to point your desires and your loves and your affections to Jesus. And out of that, you'll live for him, will live for him. See, you see Paul, Paul kind of says, I share in God's grace with you and I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Jesus is affectionate for you. Do you know that? Jesus longs for you. I was talking to someone who uh, uh, grew up in a church um, in Teesside and um, not a church that you would know, but he said, you know, church just made me feel unworthy as a kid. I came away feeling unloved and unworthy. Listen, that's not, that's not what the gospel is. That's a disordered view of the gospel. Jesus is affectionate towards his people. He loves us. So you can have a girl like Devorah stand up and go, this is God's love. I know that God loves me and loves us. Or you can have someone like Nick who interpreted that wonderful um, prayer this morning of Paul's and say, I see love in the cross. When you went to the cross and gave yourself and said, it is finished and paid for all my sin and all my wrongdoing, I saw love. It's amazing. It's love. Christ is affectionate towards you and I. See, it's knowing that we're loved. It's knowing that he is affectionate towards us. That's the foundation that we live from. That's the place that we can learn to live for God. See, knowledge of the Bible isn't a bad thing going on Christian courses or Christian conferences. That's not a bad thing. In fact, these are good things. But them alone are like the poor motivation for the Christian life. They're not the, you know, the soil, the fertile soil of our Christian life is that God loves us and we, in response, love him. That's the fertile soil where the Christian life grows from. Listen, has your Christian life become... has it become less about relationship and more about just head knowledge? Has it become dulled and not what it's meant to be when it's meant to be knowing the affectionate love of Jesus for you and I that transforms us? Hey, we're going to pray at the end for us all if you're thinking that. So Paul's thankful. He's confident in the work that God started and he prays that their love for Jesus, would abound more and more. Listen, let's pray together. We're going to finish by praying. We, um, and we, are, we're, we may sing, we may not do. If the band could come up just in case, but we may or may not sing, I don't know. We'll see where we go. <laughs> let's pray. Let's come before God, all of us, whatever we do. We're going to come before God this morning. I'm just deciding, do we... Do we do we respond in love? Because that's what we're doing as we sing, aren't we? We're not simply singing truth, or we are singing wonderful truth. We're singing our love songs to Jesus, aren't we? In truth. So let's come before Jesus. There's been a lot of talk of love this morning. Lest you think that love is some soppy, wet thing. This affectionate love went to the cross for you and I. Jesus went to the cross for you and I. He gave his life in love for you and I. He had action to it. And he paid for every sin 
every wrongdoing, everything that stood between us and God, he paid for on the cross. Let's come before him and acknowledge that sometimes we turn our Christian lives into simply doing stuff or learning stuff without love. We think if I just learn some more stuff, life will be better. Actually, when our love abounds more and more, we'll live out this life that he's called us to. Actually, I think it would be good to sing. Sing a a responsive song of love to Jesus. Can we do that together? Can we stand and sing our response songs of love? Lord Jesus, I pray as we go from this place, our love would abound more and more for you. It would be rich, deep, filled love based on your truth, who you are and all you've done and the way you lead us into all you have for us. And God, you will complete the work you've started in us. Let's leave this place abounding in love for you, King Jesus, and this week and all our days. Amen.